are listening to Internal Logic. This is the Hooded Tracker, coming to you from the mobile studio, traveling the American highways at 70 miles an hour. One of life's most important signposts is moving into a home for the first time which can be quite an exhilarating occasion, but is not always such a good omen. What if you found yourself living in a house that was extraordinarily noisy? What if the noises you heard at night wasn't just your house settling? What if you were never really alone? You'd want to know, wouldn't you? Is Jim Forrester. Look, I'm sorry to just give news like this over an email, but it's important that you know what I know about your house. I looked up my old address and found that you were living there. You have to know. I moved out over a year ago, and I still have the horrible dreams of the evil that lives inside that place. I could never quite get a look at the thing. It was as though it vanished from sight just before my eyes could fall upon its face. I told myself that it was only a trick of the light. But I knew it wasn't the truth. A chill in my heart told me to trust the impossible truth, and you must trust me now. The thing on the stairs is real, and you are in danger so long as you live in that house. For the first several months that my wife, my daughter, and I lived in the house, things went well enough. Sure, the floors groaned and creaked at night, but that was to be expected with a house as old as ours. But my opinion changed after six months. It started with a feeling of being watched while I was washing dishes late one night. I had to stop and investigate odd noises and groans behind me several times. I told myself that it was only me shifting my weight that was causing the floor to creak, but I still couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me while my back was turned. Soon afterward, my wife mentioned that she felt like she was being watched whenever she was near the stairs. I told her of the experiences I had in the kitchen, but said it was only our imaginations running away with us, and that there's nothing to worry about. Later that night, we were startled awake by screams from our daughter's room upstairs. I grabbed the baseball bat from underneath the bed and rushed out the hallway and up the stairs in total darkness. I was a few steps from the top when I suddenly tripped on something that I couldn't see. My bat crashed to the floor with a dull thud while I banged my knees on the way down. I was suddenly aware of the possibility that I may have tripped over my daughter. I felt around and called her name in soothing whispers. And then I felt the skin of a girl's face in the darkness. My daughter came running out of her room, screaming. She screamed that someone had pulled her out of bed by her foot, but no one was in her bedroom with her. I went and immediately checked out her room just to be sure, but it appeared she was right. Actually, my daughter was the first to use the word ghost in connection with our experiences. Things settled down after a couple of weeks, but no one rested easily. Footsteps could be heard in the rooms upstairs at all hours of the day and night, and my daughter complained that she can hear someone standing outside her bedroom door until late in the morning. I avoided the stairs after everyone else went to bed, but I continued to mix my nightly cocktails in the kitchen despite the dreadful feeling it gave me. It was during one of those stop-ins that I caught sight of someone else in my house. 
I turned and faced a long mirror that reflected the entire room behind me, including a figure in white who was watching me from the foot of the stairs. The apparition was only there for a brief moment, but the shock of seeing its putrefied face and yellowed teeth ruined the charm of ever having a mirror there for me. I decided to carry my baseball bat with me any time I was alone in the house from that day forward. I found answers in a hidden compartment under the stairs of my basement when I accidentally knocked over some paneling while I was rooting around downstairs. Inside the opening was a musty cardboard box that reeked of mildew. I picked it up and started carrying it out to the garbage, but stopped when I noticed part of an old photograph peeking out from one of the slits in the cardboard. I set the box under the light at the foot of the stairs and peeled off the damp lid so I can rifle through its crusty newspaper clippings and loose photographs. I grabbed a handful of photos and looked through them. They looked like they were photos of the previous occupants of the house, a family of four who lived here in the late 60s. The older daughter was a looker, I thought. She was already college age and was in full bloom, which served as a great contrast to the younger girl's appearance. The other girl was similar enough in physical appearance to her older sister, but there was something about the girl's temperament that said aloof malevolence. I grabbed another handful of photos from the box and found that the younger sister had the same effect in every photo she appears in, always dominating with her icy stare. That was when I noticed the steps were creaking. Creaking like someone was standing there, waiting. I couldn't see from where I was sitting, but I knew that my wife had gone out with some girlfriends and my daughter was at a sleepover. I was supposed to be completely alone. I took a deep breath and readied my bat, and peeked up the steps to find out who had disturbed me. I was relieved to find that there was no one there, but it felt as though I'd just missed catching sight of the thing again. There was a crash upstairs. I barged up the steps and reached for the door, but the next thing I know I can't see anything, yet alone the doorknob. I stumbled forward, but someone or something pushed me back and sent me falling back to the basement floor. I landed hard on my left arm and dislocated my shoulder. The door was thrown open at the top of the stairs and a harsh white light shone down on me, burning my eyes. I can't remember what happened after that. The next thing I knew, I was in the hospital surrounded by my family. They told me that they found me unconscious in the morning and called an ambulance immediately. The only other sign of any disturbance was the family portrait being knocked to the ground, but there was no other sign of forced entry. I allowed myself to rest easy while I was at the hospital, but I knew that my family and I would be in danger if we stayed in the house for much longer. I needed a plan and fast. I couldn't let that thing get the best of me twice. I had my wife bring the box of photos out of the basement and set it in my office after I got home from the hospital. I knew that if I looked hard enough, I could find some proof of what was happening in my house and that it was real. I took everything out of the box and spread it out on the desk. The photos I found at the bottom of the box were incredibly bizarre. There were dozens of photos of the two girls sitting side by side in the basement. The images were grainy, but there was no discernible differences from one photo to the next, aside from the date stamp at the bottom. However, as time went by, it became obvious that the older girl was declining in health. Her skin lost its glow and elasticity, and her eyes grew dim and tired, while her younger sister seemed to be more vibrant than ever. Eventually, the older girl lost a lot of weight and became skeletal before the photos stopped. I, I had to look away from there for a minute to try and look at something less disturbing. 
After a moment, my eye landed on a scrap of newsprint that I had overlooked before. It read, Ada Bell, died November 29, 1969, aged 21. She is survived by her parents, both 44. Please send flowers to... My heart skipped when I saw my address at the end of the obituary. I could recognize the girl's distorted thumbnail in the paper as one of the photos that I'd found in the box. The poor girl never moved out of the house. She died so young. She probably died here. But where? Of course, the answer was obvious, but I refused to accept my conjecture. I dared not admit my sinister conclusions, lest it somehow escalate my conflict with this force. I reluctantly scoured the internet and found a scan of the girl's death certificate, and there it was, in black and white. Cause of death. Hanging. Her parents found her dangling from the banister a few feet away from my daughter's bedroom door. That's when it occurred to me. She survived by her parents. No mention of a sister or any other siblings. An oversight? No. A coincidence? No. I looked over the photos one last time to confirm my suspicions and found that they were true. The younger girl never existed. Poor people must have noticed the other girl in the photos and wanted to know what was happening to them. They were trying to record what horrible things were being done to them by this thing. I left my office with my baseball bat in hand and walked a few feet to my bedroom door when I heard it. I ran down the hall in a few seconds and reached the base of the stairs where I found my daughter with tears streaming down her face. I called for her to join me, but she was rooted to the spot. She refused to revert her eyes from the banister above me. I tried to pull her away, but she wouldn't move. I turned around and saw what she was staring at. A vision of Ada Bell swaying a few feet from the ground in front of me. I couldn't help but scream in shock at the sight of it. It reached out to my daughter with clawed fingers and swung itself closer to us. I moved us away from Ada's clutches, but the Ada demon came free of her noose and came to me with a killer's intention in her eyes. I pushed my daughter aside and punished my bat. The creature wrestled me to the ground in an attempt to wrap its hands around my throat. I managed to throw her off me and got back up to my feet. I yelled for my daughter to run out and meet me next door while I regained my bat and prepared for the next attack. My girl got up on her feet and was out the door in a matter of seconds. I returned my sights to my attacker, but she was gone. Down the hall, the reframed family portrait was askew and marred with the sudden appearance of an icy-stared girl at my wife's side. I ran back to our bedroom with my bat at the ready, but I found that there was no one else in that room either. The bed was unmade and warm, so my wife was there recently, but where now? She couldn't be upstairs, and there was no sign of anybody here. She had to be in the basement. I grabbed a mini-LED torch from my drawer and headed back down there. I tried the light switch at the top of the stairs, but it wasn't going to work for me now. So I clicked on the torch, and I shone the light on the steps to ensure that I wouldn't fall again. I, I called out to my wife, but there was no answer. Just silence and darkness. I stepped onto the floor and entered the basement. I called again, but there was no answer. Did she leave the house while I was in the office? Please, God. I begged that she was gone and safe. That was when I heard a gentle swaying coming from the far corner of the basement. If you're hearing this, you are in danger. 
The house you're living in was my house, and what happened to me will happen to you, and you will pay the price if you don't heed my warning. No one stays there long and goes on to have a happy life. It's too late for us. I really wish I could tell you all of this in person, but I don't know if leaving has had enough to shake. Please don't wait too long. Don't wait to see some stranger standing behind you. After recording that voice message, Jim Forrester hung himself. It seems the ghost, or rather the demon, had finally gotten the best of him. I'm sure the next person will do better. <laughs> this is where I'd depart for now. But I do hope you pick me up again soon. I'm always ready to entertain my audience. You just listened to The Thing on the Stairs, Special Edition, written and performed by Cody Tracy, and featuring the hooded hitchhiker as himself. <laughs>